This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. If you ask any school child um, what is the cause of tzara'at, they will answer very, very quickly that uh, tzara'at is caused by Lashon Hara. This is something we learn at a very, very young age. Uh, part of it rests on a pun, uh, which begins this week's Parashat Shavua, where we read, Zot Tie Torat HaMetzora, and uh, the rabbis come along and they say, um, not Torat HaMetzora, but Torat HaMotzi Shemra. This is the law of somebody who produces a bad name, who talks what we call a Hara, who tells tales, who... Um, gives somebody a bad reputation and libels somebody. So the source of uh, of, of the association of Lashon Hara together with Tzara'at goes back to this pun. But of course, it is not only in this story that we find a connection between Lashon Hara and uh, Tzara'at. The most famous example, which appears two places in Torah, is the story of Miriam where we see that Miriam talks against Moshe, but Zaber, Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe, it's not clear what exactly they were complaining about, but they complained about Moshe. The story is found in Bamidbar, Parakubet, Bamidbar chapter 12, and immediately after they spoke um, in a negative way about Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, God got angry with them, and uh, when the cloud lifts, he named Miriam Metzorat Kashalek. Miriam is in a state of leprosy. Her skin is of a white color. And uh, the people wait for Miriam. This is repeated uh, later on in Sefer Dvarim, in Parashat Kitetse, where we are warned about Tzara'at. It says there, Perek Haftal Pasuk Chet, be very careful with Tzara'at to follow precisely all of the instructions of the Kohanim and the Leviim. And then immediately afterwards it says, The archetype of Tzara'at is Miriam, um, and the association is a, is a very tight one. And hence we have our understanding that it is the sin of Lashon Hara which causes uh, Tzara'at. However, uh, this is far from obvious. Um, the Gemara already tells us, the Gemara in Erechin, Daftet Zayin, tells us there are in fact um, seven different things which can cause Tzara'at. And maybe we'll mention a few of them in a few minutes. And uh, these, it is not only Lashon Hara by any means. Um, and therefore I think we should uh, try and probe somewhat um, what the causes of Tzara'at are, what the causes of uh, leprosy or whatever this illness is, and to try and understand it a little deeper. And we're going to do that by looking at uh, the structure of the Parshiot of Tzara'at. Let me try and explain what I mean when I'm referring to the structure. 
The laws of Tarat uh, stretch over chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Sefer Vayikra. But they are organized in a rather unusual uh, or unconventional way. There are three types of Tarat which are described by the Parsha. First we describe Tarat of the body, Tarat uh, which affects a person's skin. That's the first type. The second type is Tarat of clothing, where we see that uh, clothing, which has to be either of wool or linen, um, has an unusual colour, and in this situation the colour there is green or red, rather than the white of the human skin. And if they see this green or red shade on the on the on the on the clothing, then it has to undergo purity. That's the second category. And the third category is the tsara'at for houses. That there can be a situation in which a person's very the walls of their house are affected, and then you have to take the bricks out or the stone out or the wood or whatever it might be, and it has to be removed and very similar, they have to assess whether it is spreading, whether it is contracting, and come to a solution either to condemn the house or to or to see that it is healed. Three types, Tarat of the body, Tarat of clothing, Tarat of houses. Seems pretty simple. However, the structure is rather strange, and I'll tell you why. Because when we look at uh, the, the order, it goes like this. First you have the Tarat of the body, its diagnosis. Then you have the Tarat of clothing, its diagnosis and its cure. And then at the beginning of chapter 14, we see Zot Tia Taratam the purification for the Tarat of the body. In other words, we've described, if you want, the diagnosis of the body, the diagnosis of clothing, the curing of clothing, and the curing of the Tarat of the body. Nice chiastic, symmetrical structure, and that's all great. But then, suddenly, maybe we didn't expect this to be, by Daber Hashem we see a new introduction, when you come to the land of Canaan, which I give you as an achuzah, as an inheritance, and I will give sarat um, even on your houses. And uh, many people have raised the question, uh, why it needs to be that the tsarat which affect houses um, are in a totally separate section to the others. They have their own and moreover we might expect uh, as I said before diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis cure, cure, cure or something like that or each section diagnosis and cure of the skin diagnosis and cure of the clothes diagnosis and cure of houses but it's not that way. It seems like the body and the clothing are kept together and the houses are kept separate and we want to understand why. And here I'll present a few reasons. The first approach is uh, mentioned, is, I, I, I think this is a relatively intuitive approach and it's mentioned by the Ibn Ezra. And the Ibn Ezra there in Perak Yudalit, Pasuk Lamadalit says, V'tam ki el Eretz Canaan. Why does it say when you come to the land of Canaan? Uh, in reference to the Tarat of Houses, he says, The Tarat of Houses only applies in the land of Israel. 
because of Godel Ma'alat the high level, the high spiritual quality of the land of Israel. He adds, Ki Amigdash B'tocham, because the temple is amongst them, Vakavod Amigdash, and God's presence is in the sanctuary, and therefore, the Ibn Ezra will claim that the reason why this is in a separate category is because it only applies in the land of Israel. The Tzarat of uh, the skin and of clothing can apply anywhere in the world, but the Tzarat of uh, houses applies only in the land of Israel, and therefore it needs its own separate category. One could even suggest that the first two are immediately relevant in the situation of the wilderness. People can get Tzarat in that environment, but they will be waiting to go into the land of Canaan, and therefore that is mentioned uh, afterwards. It seems like a perfectly reasonable uh, explanation, and I think it's quite logical as well, because if you think about it, uh, the Tarat of houses really relates to something which is a fixture, something which is fixed to the ground. Uh, in the wilderness, they certainly didn't have houses with stones and with wood, um, so it was pretty irrelevant to them, but the notion that Tarat can affect a house seems to have something to do with the sanctity of the land. Uh, the houses are very much connected to the land, made out of things which grow in the land, and uh, maybe there is a deeper connection there um, that even our own homes in Eretz Israel adopt a different quality um, than just our, our bodies and our, and our clothes, which are, after all, more transient, and uh, it could be that that sense of fixture is reflected in the particular connection to Eretz Israel. So that may be explained why the Torah of of houses are in its own category. That's the Ibn Ezra. Rashi, uh, Rashi comes up with a totally different uh, reading, uh, a Midrashic reading, which is certainly, I feel, not the Peshat, although Rashi is sensitive here to, um, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I am going to give you as an inheritance, and I will give the plague of Tzara'at on the houses of your of your land. And it almost sounds like God is saying, I want to give this. I want to give this plague to your houses. I, I, I desire to do this. And this is the line that Rashi takes. Rashi says that the differential between the first two types of Tzara'at, the body and the clothing, is that they are a punishment. Whereas this third category, um, the Tzara'at of houses, is actually a blessing. This is what I'll read Rashi. Basurahi lahem. This is a, a blessing, or this is good tidings for them. Shanagayim balehem, that they will get the um, this plague. Nefishayit minu emoriyim matmonim shel zahav bekirot batehem. Rashi comes up with a fascinating scenario. He's basing himself on the, the Midrashim of Chazal. That the Canaanites, um, when they knew that the, the Bnei Yisrael were coming, that they knew that we were going to take over their land. What were they going to do with all their uh, gold, their silver, their precious items? What they did was they hid them within the walls of their house, and then uh, and then they replastered their walls. Um, the first uh, very very primitive notion of a wall safe. The, <laughs> the safe was the wall itself, and people kept their valuables within inside the walls of their houses. And he says. Um, the Canaanites, or the Emoriim, 
they knew that uh, the Israelites were going to come into the land. They knew that B'nai Israel were going to enter. And during the 40 years of the Midbar, they hid all sorts of things within the walls of their house. One of the things you have to do in curing the Tara'at for the houses is to knock down the walls of the house. Says Rashi, what you would do is you would get Tara'at on your house, you would knock down the wall, and you would find all sorts of treasures within the walls, and therefore God puts this in a positive sense. It looks like a, a disease, but really it is something which will uh, give you great promise, will give you great blessing and wealth. Um, and this is an interesting Midrashic reading, and maybe they're relating to the fact that uh, we don't really, we see instances of the Mitzorahim, of the lepers, elsewhere in the in the Tanakh, but we never find an instance of Tarat Abatim, and uh, maybe Rashi is saying that this is a special um, situation which would be given in order that we can have our Eretz Achuzat Chem, the land of our inheritance, and that's what's really going on here. However, I would like to adopt, uh, we've, we've read Ibn Ezra, we've read Rashi, I'd like to adopt a third approach, um, which comes straight out of the Gemara in Masechet Yuma. Masechet Yuma, Daf Yud Aleph, Amud Bet, we read the following. It says, Amakara, Babet Eretz Achuzat Chem. We get Tzarat Abatim, Tzarat of the houses, we get in the land of our inheritance. Achuza. And the word Achuza here means to hold on, Le'echoz, to hold on, to hold tight. And why does it need to be described that way? It's interesting that the verse here mentions it twice. Ki eretz kana'an, you come to the land of Canaan. Ashani noten lachem, which I am giving you la'achuza. Unatati negatzarap, bevet eretz achuzatchem. Twice in a single verse, we have the idea of the achuza. And what could it mean? So here enters the Gemara in Masechet Yuma. Um, what does bevet eretz achuzatchem mean, says the Gemara? Um, he says... This refers to somebody who is holding too tightly to his house. Somebody who keeps his house exclusively for himself. Somebody who doesn't want to lend their things. And if he says he does not have, God publicizes him. When he clears out his house, and this means somebody who does not lend, and of course, somebody who does lend will not get this. Let me try and explain. Part of the process, uh, when one suspects that there is um, sarat on your house, it says, again, it's in verse 36, Pasuk Lamadudav, that the Kohen instructs that the house should be completely uh, evacuated. Uh, not only the people, but all the items in the house, because otherwise they will be condemned along with the house. So all the um, items within the house are put out on the front lawn or out into the street, and and suddenly everybody can see what you have. Um, I remember quite clearly some years ago when we when we moved house um, to our current house in Alonshvut, and we were moving from our apartment. And the movers were taking everything down from the apartments and putting it out onto the side of the road, onto the sidewalk, ready to load it into their van. 
and suddenly you see everybody who is passing by, who is walking through, people you know, people you don't know, and they're sort of looking out of the corner of their eye or maybe actually gazing quite quite uh, obviously at everything you have. Oh, look, they have a washing machine, they have a dishwasher, they have uh, you know a nice coloured couch, and they were looking at all our items. We felt exceptionally exposed. Suddenly, our whole living room was out on the on display, and uh, this degree of exposure uh, can be very, very uh, humiliating. Um, and this is exactly what what seems to be happening here. You know, I'll read a a different midrash from uh, Devarim Rabba and try and explain what this means. The midrash in, in Devarim Rabba says the following: Why do we get uh, these plagues? Why do we get sarat? And the answer is aliyadei ayin hara. Now here, ayin hara does not apply to superstitious things. Ayin hara means sort of tsarut ayin. It means something, somebody who is stingy, somebody who is all to themselves, somebody who is is mean or doesn't wish to share, non-generous. For a lack of generosity, that's why we get tsara'a. Tsara'a comes out of a lack of generosity. And here they quote somebody called Rabbi Yitzchak. Am Rabbi Yitzchak, the way of the world is that a person says to his friend, please lend me your spade, please lend me your shovel, or please lend me your axe, because I need to cut some wood. And if he says to you, he responds, somebody, a neighbor comes around and says, have you got an axe I need to use, I need to cut some wood? And the guy says, look, I don't have. Me ayin hara, because he doesn't want to share. Kachu omer, or he says, or the, or the neighbor comes around and says, please can you lend me your sieve? I need a sieve to sip some flour. And the person says, because they're not generous, they say, I don't want to share. I want it to be just for me. And they say, I don't have a sieve. Immediately, the plague of Tzarat comes upon their house. And and it says, And what do they do then? They evacuate the entire house and take everything out and put it on the front lawn. Um, once he takes everything outside, including his axe and including his um, his sieve, what do the neighbours say? They say, look at his lack of generosity. Look what he has, and he doesn't want to lend it to anybody else. Here we see an amazing uh, cause and effect. We have the case of a person who, um, you know, wants to live within their four walls, and they don't want to be part of the community. They don't want to share with anybody. And what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? Um, he shows everybody what they have. Now, let me try and explain this within a wider context to my mind of Tzara'at. Tzara'at, um, of course, affects the lines of separation which separate us out from the world. If you think about even yourself, the first thing which separates you from the world is your skin. After your skin, the next protective layer is your clothing. And between your clothing and the wall, there is nothing. The next thing is the wall, and then it's the big outdoors. There are three things which sort of uh, separate us from everybody else. And it would appear to me that a tzarat deals exactly with these membranes or with these modes of um, interaction. The layers which protect us but of course as with every protective layer the question is how much do you give out and how much do they take in how much is a mode of uh, 
receiving and how much is the mode of giving out. We live in a delicate balance as individuals between ourselves, our, our family and our communities. And this uh, Midrash in, in, in Masechet Yuma, which uh, talks about, uh, and also in Devarim Rabba, which talks about Ayin Hara, or I think what we would more likely call Sarut Ayin, a person who is stingy, a person who is unwilling to share. Um, what we're dealing with here is a situation where a person has built their walls up so high, they have built up their barrier to society so high, this person's home is their, is their fortress, it is their castle, it is their ivory tower, that they that they can't, they can't, their wall is this impermeable layer. Their front door is an impermeable layer where they don't want to share with any of their neighbours. What does Kodesh Baruch Hu do to such a person? Kodesh Baruch Hu throws them into the street. He throws them out into the community and says to them, hey, go and interact with your neighbours. Go sit on the sidewalk. Maybe somebody will have a conversation with you. Maybe you will actually see uh, what your neighbours are doing. Maybe you'll stop and, and say good morning to them. And I find this an interesting contrast um, because, of course, we're dealing here with Tzara'at Habatim, the Tzara'at of houses. Um, as I mentioned, houses of, of stone and, and brick and, and wood. Um, and this is very, very different from the case of the Tzara'at or the Tzara'at of our skin because, of course, what happens in the case when a person's own body is afflicted by Tzara'at is that they are sent outside the camp. They are sent away from people. They are sent alone. And it could be that here we see two classic different types of of tzara'at, two completely different uh, di- different types of things. As I say, tzara'at is a test of our our personal space, our privacy, um, our neighbourliness. On the one hand, you can have a tzara'at of the body, where the vic- victim is secluded from society, put into isolation for a week, sitting alone. Um, he's outside the support system of, and the social setup of, of the community. And he's being taught a lesson because he's being pushed away from society. This might relate to the other sin which is mentioned in the same Midrash in Devarim Rabbah, where Rabbi Hanina says, that Sarat comes to Lashon Hara. Somebody who decides that they want to poke their nose into everybody's business, they want to intrude too much in society, is sent outside society to sit in seclusion, to ponder what it's like to be away from people. However, of course, Sarat Tabatim is the other option. Sarat Tabatim throws a person into society. In this case, the victim of Sarat is forced to a degree of personal exposure uh, exposure in the public eye which which they don't enjoy and the person who has Sarat in this case is pushed out of his house out of his ivory tower um, for a forced confrontation with uh, his fellow residents um, maybe he must even find a new place to live for a while while his house is temporarily condemned living outside his concert zone uh, maybe even he will have to take you know, go in and live with another family. Um, and so what you see here is that we're dealing with, on the one hand, with uh, selfishness in the case of uh, of homes, but in the case of uh, Lashon Hara, it's, it's the other thing. It's a sense of um, somebody who's uninvited to comment and critique about other people 
and engaged too much in intrusion into other people's lives within society. I think it is it is fascinating that Sarat can deal on so many of these um, vectors. One of the stories that we see, um, well, maybe we'll deal with a couple of different stories that we see later on in Nevi'im. In the book of Malachim, we see a few examples of Sarat. One of the classic examples is of King Uzziah. King Uzziah is a phenomenally successful king one of the greatest kings of, uh, of Yehuda, and uh, we see his uh, building, his construction, we see his leadership of the country, everything is wonderful in the time of Uzziah. However, um, there is one thing that Uzziah cannot do. Uzziah is, a, after all, a king, um, by the way, in Malachim he's called Azariah, um, and he cannot act as a priest, he cannot act as a Kohen, and uh, what we see in, in Tanakh is that at the end of his life, he decides he is indeed going to enter into the um, Bet Midrash and do the ultimate act of offering um, Ketoret. He offers Ketoret in the Bet Midrash, and suddenly the, uh, he finds that he has Sarat. It says here, I'm reading from uh, Divrei Hayamim, when he was strong, he became proud till he, I guess, he destroyed himself. And the Kohanim come in and they say to him, you're not meant to be doing this, this is only for the people who are B'nai Aharon, who are part of the priestly class, but Uziyahu wasn't interested, he actually gets angry. And he... In his anger, suddenly they see the tzarat shining from his forehead. For Uzziah, the sin here is a sin of, of pride. Another example uh, of pride might be the story um, of Naaman, the Assyrian army captain, where Naaman, also again, an exceptionally proud person who only loses his tzarat, when he agrees to denigrate himself and to dip in the waters of the of the Yarden, of the Jordan River, which he considers to be a very, very small and insignificant river. He would much prefer to bathe in the waters of the rivers of Syria, where he comes from. And uh, the prophet insists that he goes to the Jordan, take off his clothes and go dip in the river. He finds this a tremendous indignity, but it is in this sense of lowering your dignity, that he finds um, that his sarat is cleansed. Now these are unusual stories, because these are totally different. There's no Lashon Hara in these stories. But what there is, a common factor in both of these stories, the story of Naaman in Malachim, Perak and the story of Uziah, is the notion of excessive pride. And once again, this pride is an Overinflation of self, overinflation of a person's self. And again, which one does that fit into? Does that fit into more the model of Lashon Hara? Or does that fit into the model of what we spoke about before, selfishness? Because of course, personal pride can, can somehow lead to both of those things. What we see is that 
Tzarat is referred to by Chazal and by the stories in, in Tanakh as relating to an entire um, range, an entire selection of many different social uh, ills, inappropriate social attitudes. And it is much more complex than the notion of of simply Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is only one type of bad speech, but there are many, many attitudes, subtle attitudes of um, arrogance and of selfishness, which are also affected by this uh, strange spiritual affliction that we call Sarat. And it's in this vein that I'm going to finish with one of the most uh, interesting applications that Chazal give to Tzara'at. And I've been thinking a lot, uh, we already um, recording this on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, uh, and my mind is half in, in into Pesach. And so I was wondering if there's any connection between Tzara'at and the story of Pesach, and I and I did think of one. And this uh, you'll find in the Gemara and Shabbat, Daftar Design. Let me give an introduction. Um, we all know, uh, I imagine we learned this in elementary school, so I think I can't even say we all know. We all know about uh, Moshe's tests, or the Moshe's signs and wonders that he was asked to take back to Bnei Israel. Uh, you can find them in Shemot Perak Dalid, Exodus chapter 4, where the discussion begins with Moshe saying, What happens if the Jewish people turn around and say, Moshe, you're just a pretender. God never appeared to you. So God gives him three signs. The first one is, he takes a stick and he throws it on the floor, and as we all know, it becomes a snake. That's the first first, uh, case. Second case, he says, put your hand inside your bosom, inside your chest, and he puts it in there, and when he takes it out, it is Mitzorat Kashaleg. It is leprous like snow, a white color. And he says, put it back in, and he does, and now it is back to normal. That's number two. And number three, of course, is where he takes water from the Nile and throws it onto the uh, dry land, and it becomes... Um, blood. These seem to be three uh, signs, three amazing signs that he does. Now, the Gemara here suggests that the example of second sign is actually not a sign at all. <laughs> and they develop this actually from the Pshat of the Psukim. If you read chapter 4 very, very carefully, you will see, and I'll, I'll I will quote you the critical pasuk, which is pasuk chet, verse eight. It says, "If you, if they don't believe you and they will not hear the first sign, they will listen to the last sign." Hold on, there's the first and the last. It almost sounds like there are only two. There are only two signs. Now hold on. The first one is the snake. The second one is the tzara'at. And the third one is the blood. And in fact, we do see uh, explicitly later on in chapter 7, we see that uh, Aharon performs this trick of the snake. And of course, the plague of blood as well is an example of water turning into blood. The only one which we don't hear about happening again 
is the one with Sarat, with Moshe's hand and Sarat. And we wonder, why does the text only mention Otarishon and Otacharon? Were there only two signs? No, there should have been three. It is at this point that the rabbis come along and make a very strong statement. And they claim that this leprosy, or this Sarat of Moshe, was actually not a sign, but it was in fact a punishment. says the Gemara, If you suspect somebody inappropriately, you yourself are punished in your very body. Because it says, and quoting Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, The Gemara tells us here that Moshe issued doubt about the level of of trust of the Jewish people, the level of emunah, the level of belief, the belief in the future. Moshe dares to say about the people, but they will not believe me. And uh, he accuses the people that possibly they will not uh, they will not believe him, they will not have faith. And God says, what? You think that my people don't have faith? They are believers, the children of believers. Um, and therefore, God says, we, we see the example of somebody who actually suspects, somebody who is kasher, somebody who is worthy, and you suspect them of being unworthy, will you suffer the punishment on your own skin? Now, of course, this is a Midrashic reading, and I don't think the pshat, the plain meaning, goes this way. But the rabbis dare insert this into the scene of the, bur- of, of, of the burning bush, that uh, the minute Moshe Rabbeinu uttered any sort of uh, critique at the people, the moment he stood apart, casting aspersions on the people, he was already guilty of some sort of uh, societal crime. How dare you, Moshe Rabbeinu, come along without any sense of evidence, without really having any experience of Bnei Yisrael, and uh, make sweeping statements, sweeping generalizations about their level of faith. And this lack of trust, and this, uh, how should I call it, cynicism about people. Choshed Bikshirim, somebody who suspects something about somebody who is worthy. I think that's what we nowadays call cynical. Um, somebody who is cynical about other Jews um, deserves to get Sarat, so says the Gemara. What I've tried to elaborate today, uh, through a collection of uh, observations about the structure and pshat of Psukim, and uh, through a few statements of Chazal, is that Sarat is far from just a monolithic phenomenon that uh, is related to the world of Lashon Hara, of slander. Rather, Sarat is a sophisticated system. It is a complex and... uh, it's a complex system and a sophisticated one which um, comes to warn human beings, to warn Bnei Israel about their social interactions. It attacks our skin, our clothing, and our, our houses, the things which give us protection because maybe we have afforded ourselves too much protection or we have tried to penetrate other people's protective layers. We have gone too far into other people's lives. We have dared step outside our own membrane and put ourselves into other people's. And for this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, hold on, we have to be very careful that the 
layers which separate us from other people be just thick enough to grant everybody protection, but also open enough to allow support for one another. And this delicate balance of, uh, on the one hand, having regard for everybody's privacy, but on the other hand, ensuring that we have enough social involvement so that we can support one another, this maybe represents the true challenge of Sara'at and certainly will give us lots to think about this week. Thank you very much and wishing everybody Shabbat Shalom.